Have you ever guys heard of El Cadejo? <laughs> no, I haven't heard Cadejo, but uh, we have a guest today. Primos, by the way. Welcome yeah, to my Primos podcast. <laughs> ¿Qué onda, primos y primas? My name is Freddy, and this, this, of course, is my Primos podcast. Walter took the reins today, so it threw me off from my game. But uh, we do have a special guest today. Uh, we're going to discuss El Cadejo, Siwanava, uh, uh, a lot of Salvadorian uh, folklore on top of, you know, just just great conversation. I'm really excited for our guest today. Uh, we have Randy Ertel. Is that how you pronounce your last name, Randy? Yeah, it's Randy Jurado Ertel. Uh -huh. I have two. <laughs> Randy Jurado Ertel. Well, we have esteemed author Randy Jurado Ertel. Thank you so much for joining us today here on the show. Uh, and I would like for you to just simply give your uh, say hello to our listeners, kind of give a quick intro uh, to our listeners who don't know who Randy is. Okay, yeah, gracias. Thank you, Walter y Freddy from my Primo's podcast. Uh, you know, I'm I'm an author. I write nonfiction and fiction books and illustrated books too. So my my goal is to um, promote our culture and for more people to know about our history, our politics, and 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 I I throw in some uh, folklore and legends with surrealism. So it's kind of like um like similar to Black Panther. Pero a los Alvi, a los Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, so that I'm trying to uh, create superheroes for our community. Mm -hmm. so, That's awesome. So that uh, people, yeah. So, yeah, and I really appreciate that, that you invited me to be on your, your podcast because it's something new for me. This is like yesterday, by coincidence, they turned, uh, like I mentioned, uh, a Zoom interview into a podcast, but I had never done like a actual podcast and this is so this is pretty much my first number two one. this is number two number two because yeah, you did one <laughs> you did one so yeah, you yeah. don't worry man it's gonna go great it's always easier the next time and the next time yeah and the next time so this will yeah, start you on that better. process yeah and you know what's fun about podcasts when you first get involved with one or our guest or just kind of fall into it you start realizing, man, maybe I can do one. So you never know, man. That could be an avenue for you. And so everybody has a everybody has everybody yeah, has a, everybody has has a, a story. Phone. Everybody has a phone, <laughs> and honestly, all you need is a phone yeah. to record and put on the internet nowadays. So uh, we don't hey, we don't hide the fact that we just hey, we put this together one night and say let's run with it. And two years later, here we are, still doing it. Um, it's been yeah. a blast, and I'm glad we. But like like but like Freddie. Yeah, but like Freddie was saying, uh, everybody ha everybody has a podcast these days, but everyone has a voice and a story to tell. Uh, much like my like my dad was yesterday, and that's why I was excited to have you on. And kind of coincidentally, coincidentally, my dad started telling stories about La Ciguanaba, El Cadejo. Um, yeah, he just told those two. Oh, y el, y el, y un padre sin cabeza or something like that. That 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 my uncle came across. So, anyways, well, it kind of coincidentally. It does. It does uh -huh. coincide with what Randy is talking yeah. about, right? But the reason yeah, being exactly. is that exactly, Randy, you've written a, a number of books. So let's kind of put that out there. Your body of work is great. I mean, you've gone from, you know, I looked your stuff up, and so I know you've written sto roughly books about the you know, Salvadorian experience in America. You know, and I would love to hear a little bit of your story. Talk about, you know, your, your, your universe you're building. Can you talk to us about, you know, where you grew up, how your upbringing was, and what kind of led to your profession? Yeah, okay. Yeah, these are, like, my different books here, The Hope in Times of Darkness, The Salvadoran American Experience. 
The Night Did It in Spanish, Esperanza en Tiempos de Oscuridad, La Experiencia de un Salvadoreño Americano, Then I Did the Life of an Activist, and then I'm showing it to you here, but yeah, <laughs> but and then the, in the Struggle Chronicles and the Life and Times of El Cipitillo, La Vida y los Tiempos del Cipitillo, y después dice este, El Ilustrado, The Adventures of El Cipitillo, and then this is the latest one, La, la, la Ciguanaba. So, the, you know, la, pero la Ciguanaba qué? La Ciguanaba qué? Y el... Oh, sí, in the Magical Loroco. Yeah, she has the pupusa rank too. Igual como con su lazo. So I grew up, you know, you know Los Angeles. I grew I was born in LA, pero I mean, my mamá, she got deported in the 70s and I got deported to with her to El Salvador. So I grew up there till I was five. And that's why the culture is really in me. Porque, um, people probably wonder, hey man, if you were born here, so why do you care so much about that little country? No, <laughs> and I'm man. like, well, because that's where I spent my childhood and that's where I learned, uh, I would say, my language and about culture, and then when I returned, you do experience, you know, similar to most Salvadoreños, which is to move to the tough areas. A lot of people don't know our stories because usually we were not uh, included in stories or in major uh, newspapers or documentaries. You know, in the eight, in the seventies or eighties. It was always about just the civil war. Yeah. That's what the it's extreme violence, right? Extreme it's violence. Always violence. MS-13, and that's it. Yeah, and then and then I think it's it's good to acknowledge that and say it's part of our history. Um, mm -hmm. But we need to start also um, talking about other issues, and that's that's why when I re when I came back, I had to learn English. So then. Like in 2008, 2009, I was like, man, there's no books about us or like about Salvadoran Americans uh, in English first and then in Spanish because there's a lot. I mean, in Spanish, of course, there's a lot of writers of Salvador, pero como aquí en Estados Unidos, it's rare. I mean, it's it's really uh, a void and in a way. There's reasons for it because we haven't been empowered. You know, they don't include books about us in the public schools. And like, I, I mean, just to kind of like, a, a kind of like, because I, I like your, I want to hear your story, but I ask a lot of questions. Because uh, your your story is kind of similar to my story is kind of similar to yours in a little bit. Um, I actually moved out there when I was nine, and then came back when I was, and and the plan was my dad wanted to move the whole family there, and then we ended up coming back. In '98, when I was about 13, 14. So, um, so then, when you left, did you know English, or, or, or at what age did you leave? You know, I was like, I was a baby. I was like nine months old. So no, I, oh, I didn't. Okay. Yeah, I didn't speak. Yeah. That's why I learned Spanish over there. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So then, when you came back at the age, or what? You came back when you were five, five years old. Oh damn! So you're really young then. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, but but uh, but I think that's what gave me uh the insight yeah. about the home country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, and and it's true because, like I said, like um, Stanley didn't live over there. 
but he, he's very salvadoreño in everything in in, in, in every way, right? Uh, but um, como que pues viviendo allá, el, el, el acento, el hablado, los dichos, la comida, todo como que se le se lo trae uno, right? And and to me, living over there was like four years only. But when I tell people here that I lived four years over there, I don't know if you had this experience. They make it sound like you like you did time, you know, like you were in jail or something, or your parents made you suffer when you when you <laughs> when you were over there, right? But for me, I was like, I had an amazing fucking time, you know. So I don't know if that's did you have you ever gotten that type of an ex, uh, feedback from anybody? No, you know, it's because through time I've learned different perceptions. And my friend, who, who's a reporter, he kind of give me a little bit of insight. And he said that in El Salvador, they look down upon los salvadoreños that get deported. And you know what? That was like, damn, that was like an eye-opener, ¿verdad? Porque you would think that our people wouldn't be like that. But they, it's interesting to, to be aware of that. So they think that like you're kind of like a failure. You know? Oh, you got you caught. Deported. Yeah, you got caught. Or like if it's like a criminal thing. And and I think that the, it's it's like it's it's really interesting because during the war, if you left the country, uh, like the military or the guerrillas would see you as kind of like a traitor. You know, oh, you're not staying to fight with us, oh, you're leaving. Wow. And then, oh, like, okay. so there's there is a disconnect and a dislike that people don't really talk about because in El Salvador, um, it's similar to the Chicanos versus the Mexican nationals. You know, that the Chicanos think they're better than the Mexican immigrants. And then when the Chicanos go to Mexico, the the Mexican nationals think that they're, they're like, Americanized. Yeah. So in El Salvador, there's a little bit of that, but people don't really talk about it because... Um, And, 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 and this is how how did they know that you got deported? Because como cuando yo me fui, la gente like, habla. Yo me acuerdo que jugaba en, en, ah, la gente habla. No no por eso, pero me acuerdo. Yeah, I guess porque cuando yo me fui cuando yo me fui para allá y estuvo estaba viendo una escuela católica en Hilo Vasco Cabañas la la del niño Jesús, you know, and everything over there in, in Hilo Vasco and and um and I would play in soccer, me jugaba en equipos de fútbol, y mi carnet decía estado, eh, eh, uh, uh, you know, so everybody would be like, uh, es, es, es jugador extranjero, que no sé qué chingada, ¿sí, <laughs> so if anything, I didn't, yeah, I, I didn't have a negative experience in that aspect, but you know how I did have a, neg a negative experience? It was because all the kids thought that because I was from the U.S., I was soft. Like, I was really soft, and they could beat me up or take away my money. But <laughs> no, I beat up every motherfucker there. And as I beat him up, I became friends. It was like a, it was like a, like a right plea type thing. You know, I would, yeah, I would beat up every person that, that would end up being my friend, actually. And then there was a muchacho que se llamaba Walter también. And he's the only one I didn't fight. He era de Estados Unidos, the coincidentally, like you, he came, he came to the, se fue pasador bien pequeño, bien chiquito, pero era el cabrón, era bien alto, y era, he was like a gentle giant. So he's the only guy I didn't fight, but that's what I'm saying, like, so then how did, how did they find out you were, got deported, or, or like, how does that come out, you know? Okay, no, that's a good point. No, I'm talking about more like now, like later in my adult life. Uh -huh. so uh, okay. Oh, okay. Makes more like a bong. Yeah, because when I was over there, when I arrived, I was like, um, como una novedad, como así como puchica. Este es yeah, exactly. De Estados Unidos. 
Así que, it was positive, but I was little. I was a yeah. baby. Okay. But people were curious. They would come from all over the, the, the departamento y otros, hasta de otros departamentos to see me because they were, they had never seen, this is the 70s. No habían visto oh, un yeah. uh, estadounidense o, o guanacos americanos. Yeah. So they were like, damn, this dude is like, it's like como un extraterrestre, you know. Yeah. Because then you were like uh, the avatar, the airbender. He was trying to go <laughs> look at you. No, but yeah. <laughs> I think that I, like if I could, it's like a, if I can connect with you in a way, because uh, with me, I was born, you know, in the U.S. And my parents, they came, you know, like most Salvadoreños, families fled for the war and came and reestablished themselves in the U.S. in L.A., right? Right in South Central, all that, like you said, the tough neighborhoods, the tough everything. Um, but the way I grew up, I never felt any animosity, right, within the kids that I grew up with. Pero cuando íbamos de regreso a Salvador como de visita, ahí como dice Walter, decían, oh, como llegaba gente a visitar porque sabían que ibas a llegar, right? Pero cuando llegaban, mm -hmm. se me pegaban because they're like, oh, pues, para que tenga dinero. Or hablame de Estados Unidos, que hay en el norte. Like, it was like a whole oh adventure. Like, talk to me that. about, like, que hay allá, que hay aquí, que comes. Like, it was a whole different world because la realidad es que, yeah. only, bueno, nosotros estamos en Salvador, mucha pobreza, right? Y, y el país yeah. es pobre, la mayoría. Y en los, los, los lugares donde nosotros vivíamos, o vivimos todavía, mucha pobreza, so... Me imagino que they saw somebody come from the U.S. and they wanted to immediately kind of go, hey, man, help me. Porque si, mira, te cuento una historia. Mi papá llegó una vez con nosotros, ¿va? Y de repente una señora llegó a tocar la puerta de mi, la casa de mi abuelito. Pa, 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 pa. Preguntando por mi papá. Ni, ni conocía a esta persona. Que ¿okay? nomás llegó a tocar la puerta y dice, oh, mira que Freddy, soy esposa de tal persona que está llegando a Estados Unidos. Uh, pero ocupo ayuda, you know, me puede dar algo de dinero. Like, my dad doesn't know who this person is, but they know who he is. And they're saying, oh, cuando regreses para allá, te devuelven tu dinero, blah, blah. Like, there's a need. What? Yeah. Like, people <laughs> just know. Eso te digo, la gente yeah. habla. Western Union. People, Western, people, Western Union. Union. <laughs> but it's a trip because the countries were poor. But my experience was a little different because I never got an anim uh -huh. any animosity from people that I grew up with. Other fellow, you know, first, I was a second generation. That's how we call it. We call second generation because our parents that came over are that first generation that really led the way for us. You know, so we consider them the first. Uh, I never had any animosity with the fellow kids growing up, but I did, como dice Walter, have that bounce of people that came over. So let's say, llegó un muchacho recién llegado, tiene mi edad, oh, como dice Walter, I'm soft. I haven't suffered. Yo no he sufrido como ha sufrido. Yeah. And then, then I'm not Salvadorian enough. So you say I'm Salvadorian, but so oh, you're not Salvadorian enough. You're light skinned. You don't talk the same version of Espanol que nosotros. It's a little different. And I mean, Randy, you came when you were like five, six years old. Did you get any any bounce back like that? Well, like you mean here in the U.S. In the U.S., yeah, from Salvadoreños. Yeah, I think I, I talk funny, like in elementary school, because most of my classmates in South Central were like 
course, Mexican-American, Mexican, and black, mainly black. And and then the Mexican kids, they were like, man, why do you talk so funny? Oh, can, you, can you talk to us, please? Because they wanted to hear me because the girls actually liked it porque it was kind of unique, you know? That's new for me. I didn't know that. <laughs> I haven't heard that. <laughs> but, but that was elementary school. Um, yeah. And, uh, and a lot of the kids were like, Salvies or half maybe it was starting to happen, but they were undercover. They wouldn't say it. Yeah. Um, we, we started to invade these neighborhoods or these communities. Uh, and invade. We <laughs> Slowly take over. Marry their. Marry their. Marry into their men and their women. <laughs> and it's a reality now. Now it's like um, in the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. Now you have. Uh, I'm not kidding. You have. Uh, yeah, I would say tens of thousands or more, because uh, no one has done like the. Uh, hopefully, the census will will show us. Uh, yeah, we'll shed light more on that, huh? Yeah, and there we're mixed now. We're we're like mixed in terms of like, because it's been two, three decades, four decades now. So now we're half Salvi's, half black, half Wate, half Salvi, half Salvi Max. So we're like, we're like not even full Salvadoreños anymore because we we're we're we mix into the different communities where we move. Yeah, because I imagine because uh, even in LA in L in LA there's a really big concentration of Salvadoreños in the Korean right in Koreatown right that's where you can go find pupusas and Korean food like next to each other by a Korean barbecue right like there's a big concentration yeah. there because Koreatown is just call that right it's all politics uh -huh. Salvadoran town you know really. So that, that's what's funny about it, because they want to put us in the MacArthur Park. We're not even there. We're, like, not the majority there. Uh, we've never been. I mean, you hardly find any Salvis there. Where is the uh, Salvadorian corridor that I saw? Like, where is that now? Yeah. You know, okay. I'm going to buy where the pitos and the mango and the jocote and all that. And the alguache. Yeah, it's like what happens is they don't do the demographic research. So a la brava lo hacen, right? Dice, puchica, puta, aquí vamos a poner el sign y aquí es el corredor salvadoreño. Mm -hmm. Nosotros los salvadoreños, we're everywhere. That's what people don't want to accept, that we're like everywhere. Mm -hmm. But the stereotype us that we're only in Mexico Park and Pico Union. I'm like, I'm tired of that because that would be like saying that all the Chinese are in Chinatown. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, like, you're right. But do you think it's, it's, it's methodical? Do you think it is so political? They're like, let me keep you Salvadorians here. I want you here. That's where I want you. I'm labeling it to keep you here. Yeah, yes. You know, there is. There is. Uh, there's a uh, reason for it. Like the Chicano politicians during the 1992, right? They blamed the Salvadorians for burning the community. That's what? American. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. They come on live. I didn't TV. know that. Because they said, look at us. They said, look at East L.A. Oh. Look at those crazy Central Americans. They yeah, come from... Uh, wow. Shoot. I mean, my, 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 our, our, uncle, our uncle did, you know, go get some TV dinners before the store burned down. But, uh, but I didn't know we would, the Salvadoreño community was, uh, was getting blamed. I mean, it makes sense yeah. because we're in that neighborhood, right? We're in that neighborhood, and so why not point the finger? I guess. Yeah, it's an easy scapegoat because we we didn't we didn't have 
and we still don't have like representation, yeah, to speak and to be interviewed, you know, because usually they go to the city council member or the state assembly member or the congressional member to to speak about issues, but then we don't have any, so they speak for us and they make up anything about us. But we did. There was this professor Manuel Pastor at Occidental College who did a study right after the riots, the '92 riots, okay. and they did a survey, like a real professional um, empirical evidence survey, and that's what they found. They said, man, they, they, they interviewed and thousands, tens of thousands of people, and then what they found, which is hilarious, uh, is that only one out of ten people out of the, just was Salvadoreño in that area, in the Pico Union, Westlake area. So we have moved out already because that's an immigrant landing place. Mm. We land there and then they move out. So then we move everywhere. We move to the valley. We move to southeast LA, Long Beach, San Pedro, uh, Santa Ana, and Orange County. So then, but then the myth state that we're the majority there. But it's really one of the most crime high crime areas and high poverty areas. So yeah. it's been essential for politicians to say that we're there. And also nonprofits uh, claim that too. But but the demographics uh, don't reflect it. Like and if you hey, question, hey, can, hey, uh, so can I ask like what do you mind what how old are you? Uh, no, because I mean I'm I'm thirty five <laughs> I'm I'm 34. I'm gonna be 35 myself. Estoy llenando ya el social security. Yeah, too. There you go, man. <laughs> so you're uh, you're a high risk for COVID. Then you're one of those high risk yeah. individuals that oh, we gotta keep you safe. No, I'm like, yo soy como el cipitío, you know, soy como el cipitío, soy eterno. Eternal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. no, 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 hey, so so then you're older. How much older than us are you? I'm 35. My cousin's like 36. I'm in the, I'm a decade older. I'm in my 40s. So okay, like, so that's why that's what the reason I wanted to ask that is because if it, it feels that you're you're it's dope. You're telling us stories that are in between us and our parents, you know, because there's a lot of stuff that we obviously we don't know because we were too little to to know at the time. But then there's stuff that our parents don't tell us, you know, kind of it gets lost. Um, I don't know. I am enjoying because you were you're older, so you're you were able to kind of live through that and 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 and, and stuff that we don't remember. At least myself, because I was way too young to kind of recollect that type of stuff. So, yeah, you know, that's what I try to do in my in my books and my literature is to capture that because our stories were. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is rescue them and memorialize them, make them available uh, forever because. Um, I, and I get I piss off people, believe it or not. I get people upset because they want to believe the myths about us. There's a lot of myths or, or stereotypes. Yeah, and they yeah. like to believe them because. So what are the myths that you're getting from people? Is it from Salvadoreño community or is it from other communities? I, I think both. Uh, I think it's external and internal. Um, I think from the external one is that they want us to look a certain way or to act a certain way um, and to be affiliated, you know, with gangs. They want that, and then they want the, the Civil War stories. Uh, and the Civil War and the gang stories, I think that, those that's what people are used to. 
because the mainstream media, that's what they've been obsessed with, and that's what sells, right? Violence sells, um, but then no solutions. And then from our community, some people have actually believed the myths, like the demographic myths, that we're only in one community, and we don't fit in those areas because we're millions, millions, and we're like two or three million people. We can't be in one area. We're like everywhere. We're like... We're not just in LA too. We're in Houston. We're in DC. In Maryland. Virginia, right? Yeah. Florida, tech, throughout Texas. So we're we're like everywhere. We're starting to even invade uh, southern U.S. You know, like Georgia, Alabama. We're the farm workers. I, I like how you say you say. I like how you say you say invade. <laughs> yeah, because that's what they see us. They really see us as invaders. Yeah. But what's ironic? Yeah. And contradictory to that is that we've been here since the 1500s because migration hasn't stopped. So we've been here, uh, and I'm writing about stuff like that, about history that's never been told or known because I'm trying to to get people to think. Because, I mean, I'm not kidding. I mean, like, they think that we just got here in the 80s. Yeah. But we've yeah. been here, like, forever. And in San Francisco, in you have Salvadorians that have been there hundreds of years. They're not even Salvadorians anymore. They're like American. <laughs> yeah, at this <laughs> so point. So it's like it's funny. Uh, and you know what? The, that that's very that's a very good thing because I was actually like out and because like I said, my parents are living with me now, and and all of a sudden we start talking about stuff that we haven't talked about in a long time. And last time I was asking him about this uh, guy that young guy that used to live with us. My dad was helping him out when he got here, and I was asking him about how he got here, who was here before him, and blah blah blah. blah. And from his recollection, up until he knew somebody that had been here since the 70s, you know. And but then after that, that person trajo más gente, or they came looking for him, and blah blah. So then. Um, yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I'm like I'm, I'm enjoying our conversation in that aspect. Que, que we're getting a little more information than what even our parents are able to kind of tell anecdotally. You know. Like, well, so. Randy, and I ask you this question because it kind of touches what Walter just said. You know, our parents and my mother, example, I use all the time. She's very much of the school of. I don't want to talk about the war anymore. You know, she's very much like, I I when we ask her about that stuff, she's like almost como que más enfado. She's like. That's every that's everything that every that's the only thing people want to talk about is the war, and she had a connection to the guerrilla and things like that. So she's very much like would be a great como tú dices a very sellable story. It'd be a very sellable story for someone to want to read the book or watch the movie, right? But is it because like the trauma? I mean, is it or or what is it? Like, what is it about that that time that people are just kind of sick of it? You know, I, I, that's a, a good point, and I think it's an evolution of, of things, uh, and it's a mixture of things. I think that the activists are obsessed with it, right? The, especially the FMLN members, and they se quedaron en los ochentas, la guerra fría. Okay. And then the new generation, they've been taught that too, because when we're young and we go to a college or university, we want to be revolutionaries. So that's why a lot of salvies are very pro-leftist, but the reality is that since Mauricio Funes got elected and then Salvador Sanchez Seren got elected from the FMLN, hmm. uh, Mauricio Funes stole over $300 million. So they, they betrayed the whole 
Red movement. Red yeah. 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 But in that, la gente se dio cuenta de que they got used to fight on both sides. No, yeah, and, and just to and just to echo that, like my dad, you know, my dad used to, but he was in the military, and he told me that one time he, I guess, le cayó. He kind of saved this general, top general. He kind of saved his life in, in uh, uh, while they were training or something like that. And then the guy como que tomó cariño, and he you and he would request my dad as a driver to drive him around. And they said that one time uh, he had to take him somewhere. And this is stories that my my dad has told told me. And he said that they got somewhere and they told my dad, "Hey, don't talk about anything you saw here, okay? If you know what's good for you, pretty much." And he said that they went into this like mansion hotel type place, and the top general, some of the top generals were there, some of the top guerrilla were there, with a bunch of uh, prostitutes, and most of the prostitutes were like American. Like, they talked English, so my dad was like, anytime my dad would talk about El Salvador or see the United States going and fighting other wars, he would tell us, you're not, f or like, when 9-11 happened, he was like, you're not joining the army, fuck that, like, they're, you're going to go waste your life, and at the end of the day, they're both just fight, you know, uh, selling guns to both sides, you know, so that's kind of a big disillusionment also that, because that's the reality of what really happened, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what happened to both sides, that they saw that. They just got used by the politicians over there, and the wealthy people, they just left. You know, they went to Miami and other countries, but then they went back once the war was over. But uh, the oh, country damn. was destroyed. Yeah. And, 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 then, and I think it's a lot of bad memories because it became, it was a very dirty war, you know, the Civil War. Every, any war is bad, but in the Salvador, for some reason, it stands out for the atrocities and the extreme human rights violations. Because I'm telling you, I learned stuff from other people, too. And my friend one time posed a question to me. He threw it back at me. And he said, what country in the world has ever had death squads? Which is the country that created death squads? Which is the country? And this is my own questions that I throw at people. Yeah. Which is the country that has killed their own archbishop? Which is the country that has killed their, their own Jesuit priest? Which are the country that has raped and killed the nuns? Which is the country that has done all this like, like um, unimaginable, yeah. unimaginable uh, things? You know, and I think that's why people don't want to talk about it because it's very traumatizing to remember. Um, the unjustified tortures and murders, and and the country wasn't bad actually before the civil war. It was actually progressing, and I think these young people that that were the leaders, they were irresponsible. They thought it was fun you know, to blow up things. No, yeah, but wasn't yeah, but wasn't there a, a reason for them to try and start a revolution? Didn't at least even though it might have been ideological. Wasn't the wasn't El Salvador already like a tipo banana republic where you know you just had big American corporations you know like they owned the whole owned whole fucking countries you know like yeah you know there there was there there's there's, there's reasons and and they can be justified it's just that mm -hmm. they didn't go where the, they didn't go in the direction that they were supposed to like in terms of equity mm -hmm. and actually finding people jobs and reducing poverty. It actually made it worse, and then the leaders became corrupt. A lot of the yep, that uh, happens all the time. Like right now, in Nicaragua, right? The same things happen in Nicaragua. The this like very uh, prominent figure that helped the uh, Sandinistas, right? 
came back and now he doesn't want to let go of power, right? And yeah, he's being a fucking. I have friends that I talk to about. Well, Mikey, right? We've had Mikey on to talk about what's happening there, and it's similar. They fucked it up, you know, like the whoever started, you know, the. You know, it's uh, yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. and I'm sorry to, to cut you both off there, Randy. You know, it's a uh, it's fascinating. You know, when you start hearing your your stories being told from a perspective other than what your mom or dad always told you, right? And the thing with yeah. Salvadoreños, at least in my age bracket or younger, like, and it's a, I think we're we're in a, in a very special block of time, okay? Because like Walter says it, you know, you're the decade ahead of us, right? When it comes to age, uh, so your experience mm-hmm. is a little different than us. You're the precursor to what we had to go through and whatnot, right? You kind of were the were the your parents were the spear, and you're the, we're in the shaft, and then the tail end of it, we don't know where it ends, but like the younger. Central American community, especially nowadays with the internet and social media and all that. Very man, proud. Very proud. Super proud. Like, and, no, and I make fun of it with Walter sometimes, and my wife's Mexican, and we'll have conversations between Salvadorian and Mexicano, and she'll tell me, like, you're not like a super Salvadorian. And I go, like, what do you mean? Is it like, I don't see you with the Salvadorian flag waving it against the wall. I don't see you with the with the corbo. Like I don't see you like this. And I go, well, like I mean, I do. I, I do have machetes as as <laughs> I do have machetes, picardias, all types of stuff hanging. But I don't I don't go out on the street with the flag. You know, I don't. But yeah, you're right. Like I do <laughs> there's, more of that. There's a know? big the difference younger. in that. Is it because yeah. our culture has been so covered in that that veil of like Salvador is poor? war-ridden, violent country, and... It, it, I mean, I it's, it also, like... it's also kind of survival, you know? Survival, I mean, like you want to come into a predominantly Mexican community and you want to, you don't want to no, ruffle no, feathers, the, you know? Thing, like, I, know we, sometimes... I think all of us here on the show and maybe those that, that do know enough, and I urge you, like, Randy, I mean, definitely you'll provide us with information, but I urge you to go, start doing your own research, start reading up on more than just this fantastical stuff because... I make a joke, I think, years ago on the show, a couple in the beginning, where if you Google famous Salvadorian people or famous Salvadorians, you see the priest that got killed during the Civil War and, you know, yeah, some singer now. or something. There's nothing there beyond violence, you know? And so the fact that we are trying to make space for ourselves at this point, 2020, it feels like it's almost the beginning of a... There's going to be a bubble that bursts. Like, there's something that's going to happen soon. What do you think, Randy? Yeah, you know, I, I think in Salvador, I got into an argument with my friend in high school. That he was Mexican from East L.A. And because uh, we went to high school in Rochester, Minnesota for this, on this scholarship. And he was saying that El Salvador was poor. And I was like, no, it's not. And I think I was coming about it in a different perspective because it's like really no country is poor. It's more like how the leaders exploit the country. like Because we have resources, right? Each each one of the Central American countries has, uh, to a certain extent, they call it the, the curse of being, of having resources, right? Yeah, no, they, they do have them. It's just that um, the, the land and the people get exploited. Like, for example, in El Salvador, mm-hmm. They've always had the campesinos working the land to pick coffee and cotton that gets exported. We get the best coffee in the U.S. and in other countries from El Salvador and other things, too. Now the biggest export del Salvador is its people. Es la, nuestra <laughs> gente. Y el Bukele has brought a lot of hope. And I think that COVID-19 has messed it up for him and everyone else, right? But 
I think he represents like the new leadership of, of El Salvador and hopefully we'll get leaders like that in the future, you know, that won't steal the money, um, that will actually build schools and hospitals so that people won't have to come here. And then you know, just going back to the whole violence, the history of violence, um, aquí en la novela, pues, The Life and Times of El Cipitillo, the, the way I created the character is que El Cipitillo is a little colonel in the, in the military. Allá en El Salvador, he's a desk squad member. And that's where he learned oh. violence. And he got trained by the U.S. And then his brother... Oh, shit, yeah, like everything el else. Yeah. El Duende is El Guerrillero. He's El Comando Urbano. And they, one joins one gang and the other one joins another gang. And they do talk about that because we can't deny it either. You know, it's not like we're denying it. We're not denying, like, the issues of uh, the Civil War and about gangs. Because I think that one led to the the other, right? The, the whole war created a lot of uh, displaced people and a lot of uh, people who were trained to be violent and a lot of... And, and see, I'm trying to also counter the myth that it was kids, too. It wasn't just kids. It was really adults setting the example. And they're the ones that actually uh, did a lot of the damage, you know. It wasn't innocent kids. It was more like adults. Uh, and I think that we have to turn it around. I used to go along with that, too. I used to uh, buy into that, that, oh, yeah, que eran los niños, los hipotes. No, los adultos les enseñaron, you know, y los maltrataban. Como muchas veces cuando venían los niños aquí, they were kind of like orphans, really. Y, y puchica, man, los vergueaban, los explotaban, los tenían como sirvientes. Yeah. Y así que mm -hmm. a lot of these kids had a lot of hatred. Grew up with a lot of hatred and a lot of uh, violence. And then, yeah, and then that's why they... Uh, we saw the results. We saw we saw the results, but but then we can't continue with that story because those kids aren't kids anymore. They're old. They're están viejos. Así que now the new generation, I think, is trying to replicate that, and that's because they don't include any any literature or books that talk about our reality and 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 offering alternatives or, or solutions you know i want to i want to i want to talk about um your books because it goes hand in hand with what you're just saying you know i do want to talk about your books because you hit a real good point there Yeah, no, it's cool. So thank you. I, I think it's important because I mean, we haven't been given the platforms yeah. to to, uh, to speak our mind. So, yeah. 
So coming back, we're coming back. Uh, took a little break, get a drink. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, Randy, do you have you ever seen these? Well, I can't see because I have that tiny uh, screen. But okay, yes. I could barely see Picardia. it. Picardia. Picardia. See, yeah. Just a little where they make them. That little town. Ilo Vasco. Yeah, Ilo Vasco Cabañas. That's where my. That's where I. That's where I spent time in El Salvador. That's where my dad's from. Um, my grandpa used to make ladrillo. Tenía una hacía ladrillo. Tenía una ladrillera. Tenía molino. Uh, sembraba maíz, cafe, you know, ca teníamos un poquito de café también. Like, I grew up doing all that where shit. Where in El Salvador is your, is your family from? Or where are you from? Randy. Me? Okay, cuando la gente me pregunta, yo les digo de que qué parte de El Salvador soy, yo les digo de Los Ángeles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pero tengo familia de, de todas partes, de Santa Ana, yeah. Salvador, Usulután. So I represent the whole little country. There you <laughs> go, man. That's a good <laughs> one. I'm going to use that. The Los sí, no, and, and that's interesting, actually, porque cuando a uno, a uno le, le, le preguntan exactamente de dónde eres, like, the country is so small that you have, when you're, you have family all throughout the country, you know, like, in the capital, in, in Oriente, así, in the Occidente, Oriente, así, siempre tiene uno family donde quiera, porque el país está tan, tan chiquito, y, 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 y cuando ya, me acuerdo que cuando empecé a ir a la escuela aquí, que regresé de, de, de El Salvador, um, una cosa que, that felt very, it amazed me, was that I looked up, like, how big Connecticut was, you know? Connecticut, and Connecticut is like one of the smallest states here in the United States, y lo comparé con El Salvador, because almost the same fucking size, like, it's really small, you know, like, it's a very small country with a lot of baggage, right, so. No, well, yeah. I wanted, before our break, you know, I mentioned about your, your stories, you, you gave us a little bit of your, your youth, you coming up dealing with the, with, with, with LA, at least during the time, and I want, and we walked through that long walk regarding El Salvador, which, you know, I loved it, because, we don't hear that version of it. Like you said, there's not a lot out yeah. there that can really give it the its dues. There's not. No hay nada ahí que, if it's not the war, extreme violence, or some fantastical imagery of it, you know, uh, beyond what really happened or what the other alternative is. You know, you are writing stories, or writing, you know, you're in numerous books. What you're working right now currently, I know we're going to talk about La Ciguanaba, and I want to talk about your, it feels like they're all interconnected. You have your, your Cipitillos, Aventuras de Cipitillo, and, and you're going into uh, La Ciguanaba. And I, I read the description for the most recent book. And I really want you to, to give us a quick little just snapshot of what this book is about. And I want to jump off from there and how we're interpreting our stories moving forward. Yes, uh, you don't, okay. The Cipitillo is the first part, the novel, the life and times of El Cipitillo, La Vida y los Tempos del Cipitillo. And then I did the second part of the novel. I, I did the illustrated one. That's This is for the kids because, like, a lot of the festivals, the kids were like, damn, I want to read a book. Or, yeah. Y por eso es el ilustrado, que tiene ilustraciones para niños, para adultos también. And then... The, but the novels are more for young adults, adults. Y la Suguanaba and the Magical Oroco... I wanted to create a female superhero. So then I made Lassie Watanaba into this badass woman. Que no se deja. She's like, she'll like kick your ass. She'll like cut off your penis. 
The first female priest and then first female pope in the, in wow. the world. So um, that's why she has uh, the, the el, aquí esta cosa. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Así que ella representa uh, the struggle of Salvadoran women, but also the possibilities of becoming um, the first female pope. And then why not? Tío made him to the first Latino indigenous U.S. president. And then <laughs> so it's possible. And then people may think I'm sinning, you know, I'm being sinful. Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. I, I can mean, imagine. I've heard it's como, you're, it's como blasphemy type thing, right? Like, that's kind of what they're... Because, I mean, yeah. I, I personally, I grew up, I grew up, uh, I'm not, no soy, no, no, creo, no soy religioso, no creo en, 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 el, en Dios, casi como lo representan en la Biblia y todo eso. I kind of walked away from that, but... En El Salvador sí me criaron bien católico. Mi abuelita me llevaba a la iglesia, you know, todo, like I did the whole thing. So, uh, but at the same time, la familia de mi mamá era bien, son bien, eran como evangélicos, you know? So, are, your background is Catholic, I guess, I'm assuming, or? You know, yeah, I have different uh, backgrounds. I, 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 uh -huh. I'm a I believe in all religions and in, in one God. It's because I think if we go way back, we all have Jewish, Muslim, Christian uh, roots, and we do. Like, believe me, yeah. we, we we there's different explanations, and even Spain was conquered by the Muslims, so we have yep. Muslim background, Jewish too. The Jews have always been in Spain, and a lot of Jews, Muslims went to El Salvador. They're still yeah, there. Yeah, los Ladinos, los Ladinos. Yeah, like they came mm -hmm. into it. Uh, Jewish people from Spain, I believe, right? Yes. Uh -huh. Que los expulsaron yeah. because of the Inquisition. Yeah. So, like, um, we're mixed. So that's why I, I relate to all religions. And and um, and I felt conscious, believe me, when I wrote this. Porque yo sé que it was going to be like, oh, my God, es malcriada también. Porque, you know, it speaks. But like you said earlier, right? I, li I like it. You know, I'm a believer. I have my, my beliefs as well. And but I like yeah. it because you're putting it on its head where it needs to be. You're you're why not have an interpretation of this? Show how powerful this female figure is to take on a pundit, if you would, right? That's typically for only men. And it's like the Catholic yes. Church, man, it's yes, for all tender purposes, not and I apologize to anybody out there, it's just it's an institution that has its problems. At the end of the day, period. Yeah. It's a building, all right. I mean, it's, it is what it is. If you believe in God, and trust me, a building's not going to incorporate that to a God, okay? So let's just put that out there. So the fact that you took this character that is lesser known, because everybody knows La Llorona, right? Oh, La Llorona, ooh, whatever. Uh, which, hey, no disrespect, but I'm saying I've, I've seen it. I understand it. It's so well known. It's out there. Then you come in with La Ciguanaba. I mean, it's in, the, it's in the name. Like La Llorona, cuando es La Llorona, you know, right? It's like... Kind of self-descriptive, self-descriptive, but Siwanaba. It's like, what does Siwanaba mean, anyways? You, Randy, when you wrote this 
this uh, universe, this what would you call it, like uh-huh. mystic Salvi universe kind of thing? I mean, because it feels like they're all interconnected, right? And they're all mm-hmm. you're telling the same kind of story. So I'm, I'm assuming they're all in the same thing. Me, I attribute it to like Macondo, right? For Gabriel Garcia Marquez, like in Macondo, they're all connected. It's magical. It's mm-hmm. it's it's wonderful. They're all interconnected in some way in all his books, right? So is this the same thing for you? Is this kind of they're all interconnected in the story you're telling? You know, they're, they're all interconnected, and it's it's through surrealism. Okay, ese es el estilo that I've uh, adopted, el surrealismo, where I mix like fantasy with reality. So that's what's unique about it. It's just that it's Central Central American, and um, and that's how it just evolved. It came to me like naturally, like I just. Because when I started writing music view, I'm not kidding. I, I just wanted to challenge myself about to write fiction because I've written nonfiction only before that. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to try fiction. And then you don't sabía really how it was going to turn out. And and I put I really did put a lot of uh, passion in it. And then the mess it came out all right. It it came out because at first you don't know because you're like, damn, es como cuando haces como the pressure, no? the pressure, no, la presión, because the Salvi community is going to see these words and go, who are you to write it? Like, does yeah, that it, happen? See, nuestra comunidad, they're pretty tough, you know, they are. Um, and yeah, they, they, there were some of that. But but then, you know, what I realized, como el Día Salvadorino y otros festivales, was that our people came through and they support it. That, that was, that's what was cool. I think some people assumed that it was like the same old little paragraph, uh, folklore, uh, leyenda, right? Que es la misma, pues de siempre. Que you could pretty much describe it in one page. Yeah. And de siempre la misma historia. Y lo que yo quería hacer was to expand it and make it come alive and different. So I had to explain to people. Because mucha gente en nuestra comunidad historia ya la conozco. Es como que te digan eso de la llorona. Yo hacer la historia de la llorona. O yo hacer la historia de Superman o Batman. ¿Para qué voy a ver la película? Así que yo los tenía que convencer. Porque our people are pretty savvy, you know, they're entrepreneurial. And the thing is that in El Salvador they haven't in, no han inculcado mmm, la cosa de los libros, siempre los libros es lo, lo menos que han promovido en El Salvador. Que es como la, 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 el arte en términos de, de literatura. Sí, es que quieren que más que todo compremos como en Estados Unidos y El Salvador. De ah, yes. Weed en Tic Tac, you know, like para yeah. estar todo uh, pichinga, vaya. <laughs> Pero, like, <laughs> I think that literature is <laughs> sort of like the, the last thing that they want because they don't want people to be literate or knowledgeable because like you can pretty much manipulate uh, a community or a whole population that doesn't read because then they'll believe the conspiracy theories then they'll believe yeah, well, I mean that's where we're at now that's where we're at now with all this COVID and tosta madre pero I get what you're saying kind of like es como cuando alguien hace una cover song like if somebody covers Led Zeppelin for example if they're gonna if they're gonna try and sing it the same way, why do you want to listen to it? I'd rather just listen to Robert Plant sing it the way he s- sings it. But it's go it's good when a when an artist covers Led Zeppelin in its own way, right? And it gives us its own its own twist and 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 so yeah, I get what you're I kind of get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it, you gotta create like your own. You know, you can't be like 
Led Zeppelin or the Beatles. You gotta create your own band, like the Killers, right? And then make your own music, even though they're influenced by the other. Yeah. Band. Yep. Yeah. It's allowed to get in, to be influenced. Yeah. Yeah. Then, what's cool is that, uh, like, our community gave me a chance. You know, and they actually opened their mind, and then they started to read it, and then they liked it. They embraced it. You know, there's always like the haters, right? The whole concept of haters. Yeah. They do exist because they don't understand it. They don't get it. And it's okay, you know. It's just like how people hated hip-hop and rap at first in the 80s because they thought it was like low class and getting malcriados. Yeah. That, it's funny. I went, I've gone through that process because uh, it's very – there's parallels, you know, like with N.W.A., where like the black community was angry and the police were angry because they were talking about police brutality and they were using bad words come on motherfucker bitch mother, yeah. you know all that. Fuck the police, all that yeah shit. yeah all that shit <laughs> como hablábamos pues uh-huh. and then that's what I did I I took our ghetto ling- lingo and I put it into literature so I put how we talked in El Salvador y en Sur Centro and, and then young people see themselves. They're like, damn, that's how I talk. That's how we act. The new generation is starting to to get it, to wake up. Because some, some young women, they started to tell me, because this is really new, so I'm, start, I'm barely starting to get feedback. Yeah. And, and some of the young Salvi girls or young women, they're like, damn, they're, they're identifying oh, wow. themselves. Which is really cool because there aren't uh, much... Uh, books or literature that talk about us, you know, that that we can identify with, and and some people told me, hey, well, man, why don't you go white? Así me han dicho. You tengo un amigo de Guatemala. They can... well, what? Go white? What does that mean? What, like, what does it do mean with that? to make it in Hollywood where they they um, make their stories fit what white people, mm. you know, at, at the movies. And it's it's whitewash. That's what it is, and people don't even realize it. I don't want, I'm not gonna think names. Because... And and I'm 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 looking here at, at my at my primo. I, I he's he writes stories, and I he's kind of sent stuff to me to read. And it's not that he's trying to be white, but at the same time, it's like um, como que subjectively, you're already trying to cater for that audience, right? I imagine. I don't know, Stanley. <laughs> and I think what's empowering is when you don't. When you don't, because como con esta verdad, me trataron de huevear mi novela. They try to, these fools, they try to steal my novel because it's... it's, What? Yeah, yeah, just like in music, you know, if you're not careful. Just like what they do with the black artists, they do it to us too. And sometimes our own people too. So sometimes they think we're naive because venimos de un pueblito, que no sabemos inglés. They think they're going to trick us with contracts, right? But sometimes these fools, they don't realize that que we're savvy in that we have uh, political experience and legal experience that we're, we're not going to let people like take our uh, art or our work. Porque en Salvador hubieron muchos músicos, ¿verdad? Que escribieron sus canciones y se las robaron. And, and it's true in the 60s, 70s. So they never got the proper credit. And then other people mm-hmm. made millions of dollars off of it. So it's happened. It's happened, and I think it's part of the. So they tried to do that to you and to which book? Well, you, you showed a book right now. And, and the thing is that I caught on to it because 
if somebody wants to like use your literature, they have to pay you. You know, like if a white person writes a book, well, more J.K. Rowling's right. She wrote, she wrote Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Then, then Disney or Hollywood comes knocking. They're gonna be like, hey, J.K. Rowling's, uh, we want to do Harry Potter into a movie. They're gonna, from the get go, they're gonna pay her probably a hundred million, right? A hundred million dollars. I don't know how much they paid her at first, but they're not going to come and say, hey, can we use your novel? And then we're going to make it into a movie. Y te tratan de joder como by not paying you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a feeling, you know what I mean? So in a way, we have to give ourselves value. And we have to tell our community, you have to invest. We have to invest in our own talent. In, in and that's, I mean, and, but at the same time, it's like it's also it also starts with being proud, right? And and being and recognizing where you come from, and which is what you're doing now, right? Kind of passing on that knowledge to younger generations, and that's what Stanley was talking about earlier. That then the younger generations, you can see them more being a lot more loud about being Salvadoreño than we have ever been, to be honest. Um, and not that I'm hi- I, I was ever hiding it, but yeah, I'm not out there. Posting it like <clears throat> like the younger generations do. do you think, yeah, and I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go well, ahead. Thank, well, thank you. Uh, no, but do you think that your stories, like you said, are getting the attention they're needing? And like I said earlier on the call, like we're at that point where your story, for example, there are other younger creators that are coming out that the Salvadoreño story, that the Salvadoreño, that El Salvador is going to get a different image soon. Like that it's going to pop. Like, okay. There's more than just the what we know. Do you think that's happening? It's starting to, you know, because we do have a lot of talent. And I've met some of them through, like, the different art festivals I've gone to. And that's how I met in Color, because I heard Crisia singing at USC. And I was like, God damn, that music is beautiful. You can sing. And I, yeah, yeah. And I'm, like, I'm going to go buy her CD. And then I asked. The lady was representing her. I go, hey, is she is she Salvi, and then she she didn't know. But then I asked her directly, uh, and then she told me yes. And I was like, whoa. And then, wow, cool. Yeah, <laughs> an example of talent. The only thing is that we don't get the platforms or the access to the national networks, you know, in Spanish and English, to help us. For example, Don Francisco could have invited me to talk about my book. But I never got invited to be on his show. In other communities like Mexican, uh, Puerto Ricanos, Cubanos, Colombianos, they were always on his show. So th- it's because of the Miami connection. You know, they yeah. have a lot of influence there. Oh. But we don't because we don't get those uh, platforms or exposures. We don't get access. You know? Hey, but we're, we're, we're building it. We're building it. We're putting it together here and there, everybody who can, right? Like you're doing your part to kind of bring in those connections and somebody behind you will be like, oh, shit, right? They can reach out to you it's directly the even maybe. Like right? that Venn, the Venn yeah. diagram of stuff like you said earlier, right? Like there's so many communities within the Salvadoreños that are creating, be it artistically be it uh, politically, you know, be it even business sound, like we're we're encircling each other, and hopefully the younger, even the current. I mean, shit, Randy, no estás muerto, puta. You know, you're still doing it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're still. So <laughs> don't don't. <laughs> right. 
de que no te ha llevado la pelona todavía. Bueno, a mí también. Bueno, la pelona sí, aquí están dos pelones, un peludo. Usually es the other way around. No, pero you know what happens? De que en art especially in literature, that when you die, that's when something becomes well-known or it blows up, which is really sad because that's what's happened to a lot of black writers, that uh, they had to die, and then their literature became known. Like there's this lady, um, Thurston, sorry, I always forget her complete name, but she, she wrote um, a book that nobody knew about, And they got lost in the 70s. I think uh, Angela Davis or uh, another author, the one who wrote per The Color Purple, she helped to bring it back. And then it sold millions, millions upon millions, and now they use it in all the school districts. But then that lady that wrote it, Zoe Thurston, Zeal, I think, she she died destitute. She died, like, unknown and, and broke. But then, I mean, the same thing happened at Van Gogh, right? Like Van Gogh and other artists like that. Um, but but like the one thing I do like, at least recently, uh, Stanley. I don't know if you remember, there was a there was an instance where who was it? A Salvador Reina. Hay una muchacha que like she she has her own like uh, yeah, right fashion. Uh, yeah, and brand. and somebody tried to yeah brand she has her own brand and it's a very clever Salvador Reina you know I was like ah oh, that's pretty clever it's dope you know and we started following her and then all of a sudden some other I forget who it was was pretty much stealing her her that trademark and her design and the cool thing is that everybody came in and was like nope you stole that uh, in fact the Simpsons already did that like you know like uh Like mm -hmm. you took that from somebody, and people immediately started calling them out and supporting her. But you know, um, what, so I, all, you know? what I realized with that is that kind of you were saying that the community now. So let me let me see if the pieces fit here. The community, because we've always had so little represented, now that we are getting representation, even though it's still small, but we are getting it. Yeah. The community is very saferra. They're defensive of it. Like, hey, like no, that's our shit. Like, you can't just take it. You know, you just can't run run away with it. Like Randy, your CPTO's book. Like, yeah, I, if somebody if if somebody out of nowhere a year from now tells me, "Hey, have you heard about the CPTO book?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, Randy's book." And they tell me a different name. I'm immediately gonna be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" I know where it started from. I know who wrote it. I know the 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 trajectory for it. So I think that the community is getting to that point. Like you said, we're starting to start being more protective of our community's work of our stories. Even if it is an interpretation that's different than what our grandparents know, it's still something within the Salvadoreño community. It's, yeah, you know, and then I saw this Salvi poet, right? I shouldn't even be bringing him up, but I saw he did like a little review of my of my novel. He was like tripping. He was one of the haters, but he's like that one percent or less. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then he thinks he's thick, right? Because he was trying to use a different name, and I was able to. Uh, figure out who it was. Well, you're doing something right. If, if you have some haters, you're doing something right. And, and I, I, I felt bad for him because I think he didn't have to go that far, you know. He could have, like, reached out to me or he could have been at least nicer because if somebody goes out of their way to write a, a negative review, it means that they're not happy, you know, with themselves and... Uh, And I don't do that. I mean, there is a difference between between criticism, right? Yeah, and, like, and let's say I'm right? 
if I don't like a book, you know, damn, I don't take the time to go and like hate it, you know, like <laughs> kind of like uh, that takes a lot of effort, and then yeah. you're hating on your own community, and that's what we need to overcome because we have that issue of uh, self hatred because they've taught us, you know, through the Civil War to hate each other. So I think that that's really the the my goal is to overcome that through my books and I point it out I point it out through the characters that that we killed each other we hurt each other and we don't even realize it you know we do realize it but I don't think people realize that's why our parents don't like to talk about that war because it, it created so much pain you know and, and and unnecessary killings like even with the gang stuff you have to like ask these gangsters right why did they why have they killed so many innocent people for a dollar, for five dollars, like come on, shame on you, you know, because for reals, they were killing, you know, like campesinos for a dollar, what kind of bullshit is that, so we have to, the new generation needs to start calling people on those things and not allow it, because we're so many um, that we should not allow that, you know, in terms of like uh, mistreating and hurting our own people. I agree, because I agree. Yeah, and I think that we need to start having that conversation because we've gotten some like we gangsters too hit me up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they like send me messages and they're like, "Hey, why did you say like in your novel about that we were singing kumbaya in a circle?" And I'm like, "Damn!" I'm like, "That is humor. That's called humor." (laughs) (laughs) It's a joke. We're supposed to laugh, no? Damn. Yeah, but they were trying to like act gangster on me and I'm like damn you've been watching um, The Godfather too much you know? no but if you have to <laughs> mira, I want to touch on this before we kind of wind down but mm-hmm. if you think about it this way for a cholo that I'm from Salvadoreño means a lot in that community because they're like oh shit they immediately remember that Salvador means MS-13 war very violent people that's what you in that in that mindset like and so that I person mean, may have been I like mean, yeah. like hey man you're making the Salvadoreño tough image funny or you're making like my, my street quote unquote rep not tough anymore. Mm-hmm. And I guess I understand that side of it because there is a lot of that that gets carried. Like we're tough. We're, we're, we're violent too. Cause no nos dejamos. Somos peleoneros. Like somos malcriados, but they're like, like we're not malcriados. It's just the way we speak, but they emphasize that, Hey, we're like this deal with it, like it or leave it. Do you think it's an exaggeration that they're exaggerating it, or is that really what we are? Well, I think that there needs to be a balance between exaggeration and authenticity, and and I think it's okay to exaggerate if it's like in that genre. Let's say you're writing fiction, you could write or make up anything you want. You could create a monster with five heads or ten yeah. heads. <laughs> so yeah. it's like up to you, and then. It depends how people will like it, you know, if people will like it or not. And, and in our community, I think that, um, I think they get it. Because even the different gangsters from different gangs have read my novel and they like it. You know, they get it. They, they get it. They, they understand uh, what I'm trying to say. And, and they think it's funny, you know. That's what's cool about it and and, and yeah and they, they buy it I'm not kidding I, I go to a lot of art festivals and and I meet them and then they they're willing to invest in the book 
and it's probably the first book that they've ever read, uh, you know, about Central, about Salvadoran Americans or Central Americanos. So in a way, I'm um, bringing more awareness and knowledge. And I think I keep the bad words and all that in there in the novels as a way to make them authentic because rap music wouldn't be rap without the bad words, you know, like if the police wouldn't be that or Strata Compton wouldn't have been such a big hit if it would have been like softy, you know, yeah. kind of like, oh, you know, like, <laughs> and then what's funny too is that they weren't really real gangsters, you know, the ones that yeah. did it, except for Lee was kind of, he was more like a drug dealer. But the other guys were not gangsters. It's just that they were interpreting what was going on in Compton and South Central. And that's why they became such a hit because I think people could connect. You know, they could connect. And in the videos, you know, they, they did a good job. I mean, I mean, I will say this. I will say this. Look, in college, I used to get a lot of – because uh, in el grupito que teníamos de <clears throat> amigos en, en el colegio, fuera um, todos eran mexicanos. Era, había un peruano y dos salvadoreños, el resto era, y éramos como 14, 20, que así que nos juntamos. Um, pero ya, un peruano, dos salvadoreños, un nicaragüense, el resto mexicanos, o puro mexicano. Pero siempre they would joke around, specifically with me, they would be like, oh, no, no, no te metas con Walter, y dice, ese cabrón, te, puro machete, puro machete. And I was like, man, come on, man, it's true, I have a machete in the truck, you know, but... It's true, but don't like, but... It's true, but that's fucked up, man. Like, don't, <laughs> don't, don't generalize. But You're it's like, true, though. <laughs> uh, but it's like, yeah, it's we have to also overcome, and and it's good that the newer generations are being more loud, because then, you know, we we avoid that erasure that happens a lot, a lot of times, you know. Yeah, and we need to tell like the new generation to to invest in their community, you know, because the black community they were good about that, you know, they had the green book, and yeah. it was like damn, it was so powerful. So we need to support our our uh, our music, our poets, our artists, painters, our uh, our writers, you know, because that's one thing that hasn't existed, and that's why a lot of people haven't blown up. The only one that was able to kind of break through, but because the Cubanos helped them out, uh, in Guatemala too, was Alvaro Torres, because you know, he oh, had yeah. Cuba, El Salvador, like Mexico, Ajá, México, y después, en Los Ángeles nada, man, Uche, que nadie lo apoyaba, así que se fue a Miami, y los Cubanos lo apoyaron, and now he's like the, one of the most listened to and famous singers in Cuba, you know? So it's like wow. interesting how it works. So we have to use it sometimes we have to go away or from our community. And, and yeah, and, and it's something that the Carica from Sin Color, she was saying that, right, she found a lot of apoyo within the Mexican community rather than Salvadoreño community, right? So, um, yeah, it, it happens. You have to get away sometimes. But, you know, I mm -hmm. think that with the platforms we have today, right? Like things have changed. You know, you're writing your books, you're publishing your book. It's available, guys, you know, digital as well. So let's not forget that that's an option for you. Just a click away. You can read it digitally um, on Amazon. And we want to support. We will have to support because that's how we keep Randy writing. That's how we keep our story out there. And we avoid assimilation. That's the thing we've always talked about on this show. You know, the diaspora of Central America, man, you know, it's, it's embedded in everything going on. And we don't want to forget where we came from. This story is great. It's fun. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to read it. I'm going to get my hands on it. 
and because it's an interpretation of a uh, of a of a folklore, like you said, supernatural kind of a uh, you know allowing someone to laugh, allowing someone to kind of get interested. Because it, like one example, one story that cuenta el papá de Walter. Offended, offended too, right? Well, I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, nobody's not. You yeah. can't please everybody. I've learned that, right? Yeah. Whatever you create, you can't please everybody. And a lot of artists that we have on this show have always told us that, hey, man, do it as long as you like it. You're writing it because of you. You're not shooting for a specific audience. You're shooting it for you. Once you make it for you, you're happy. You know, and if that audience likes it, great. And if the other ones don't, well, too bad. They don't like it. Randy, one thing we always ask um, our guests is what's one thing you can tell an up and coming creator and author uh, that would be a good piece of advice for them. You know, I speak for myself, anybody else listening to, uh, what's one uh, bit of advice you can give somebody starting out or wanting to take that next step in creating something, especially in writing? You know, it, it's really like um, like that Nike model, right, which is like a cliche, like about just do it. But, it, but it's so simple that it's really, you have to get to that point about just doing it. And it's not easy. Sometimes it takes decades. Um to actually believe you can do it. And not just that, sometimes it takes decades to write something. Like my friend, it took him 40 years to write one book because wow. he has dyslexia. 40 years. And then I tell students, it took me 20 years to write one. Wow. <laughs> it's like 20 years. <laughs> and, and it's sort of like the history of the Latino community, right, in the U.S. Uh, for the, in the last 20, 30 years. So, yeah, that's why it took me like, 20 years <laughs> but uh but it's it's uh it takes that kind of effort and you 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 can't uh sometimes you want to give up you know and that's true man like cause sometimes when i've gone to some festivals that people haven't been supportive because whatever reasons that day wasn't like it was a bad luck day yeah. but they were rare too but it happens but then i had like some amazing days too like i had like some amazing experiences that um, that that would lift me up, you know. Like sometimes I would be there, and I would be like so like disappointed and sad, right? Because our community wasn't like supporting. But then all of a sudden, like a, a mom or a grandma would show up with the kids, and then the kids were like, "Oh yeah, we want we want uh, the El Cipitillo, the the Adventures of El Cipitillo, like Ilustrado," and then they would get like they would get a book or two or three. And then I would be like, damn, okay, that that's what made it worthwhile, you know, gotcha. hearing the song. Because it took a lot of courage. It takes a lot of courage to, to go out there and be uh, in front of our community, all of our community, you know, Mexican, Salvadoreño, Guatemaltecos, Hondureños. Um, no, I mean, and, we want to support you, man. You know, I thank you for that. And let's support you. You got to eat, you got to drink, but you also had need motivation to keep moving along. <laughs> I want to hear yeah. the next story. You know, I'm going to pick up your books, you know, and I'm going to definitely share. You know, we want to put this on our, our, our podcast, uh, social media, and we want you guys to just support our primo, Randy. You know, like we talked about, this show is called My Primos Podcast because we're all primos. Even you're, you know, from not, not a Salvadoreño. But we're all related. We're all wanting to find a space for each other and support each other. You know, especially la comunidad salvadoreña out there that keeps complaining that there is no representation. Here's somebody doing it. So let's really put. But when there is, they might, they, they, they're very critical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's fine. You can yeah. critique, but don't complain that nobody's yeah. doing critique it. Critique is good. Yeah, critique yeah. is good. Don't bash somebody if if you're complaining que no hay nadie haciéndolo. Here's an example: somebody doing it. 
So, you know, we really want you guys to support, you know, our primo Randy Jurado Ertel. That's E-R-T-L-L. Uh, you guys can search his name on Amazon. You see all his books there if you want to order them to your home. As well as, you know, check out. He does have his website, randyjuradoertel.com. Uh, Randy, thanks so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed yourself. And I hope that we can have you back, man, have more conversations like this. And just really just dig more into into Salvadoreños and avoiding assimilation. Yes. Y muchas gracias, uh, mis, mis primos podcast, was, and then the two of you for inviting me. And, and I really enjoyed it because we need more like authentic, uh, straight up conversations, you know, mm -hmm. because um, I think that's going to liberate us and empower us. And, um, and I think that slowly you know we're gonna blow up <laughs> we're gonna that bubble's like gonna burst man we're gonna make it yeah and, and not, yeah and not necessarily for for the sake of blowing up but for the but for for the simple fact of just getting recognition for who you are what you do what you've been doing what you want to do in the future it affects all of that you know so so i like that i like this conversation it was very insightful Primos again, check us out on all social media at my Primos Podcast. We'll have links for Randy's work. And as always, Primos, we thank you for joining us. Have a great evening. Llego regalando, voy para las playas.